This podcast is brought to you by Premiere, the UK's leading Christian media organisation. As we approach the end of our financial year, we want to remind you that podcasts like this are only possible due to the generosity of supporters like you. You could help reach millions of people throughout the year through shows just like this. Make your best gift today at premierchristianradio.plus. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is the show where you get to hear from a Christian politician about how they live out their faith in the mucky business of politics. You might think politics is tainted by compromise and sin. And yes, of course, you would be right. But then again, so is everything else since the fall. And I think Christians should be involved in politics and praying for their brothers and sisters who are in politics in an informed way. Today, we're talking about how MPs actually help people. There's a lot more that makes up an MP's job than just the debates you see on TV. So what do MPs do behind the scenes to help their constituents? We'll be joined by Labour's Ruth Jones, the MP for Newport West, who is a Christian and describes herself as a sociable socialist. Before we speak to Ruth, Cara Bentley has a roundup of some of the news this week. Well, we are edging closer to the next phase of lockdown restrictions easing, with Boris Johnson hinting that some foreign holidays will be allowed from England on the 17th of May and that social distancing could be scrapped in June. There will be a green, amber and red system come into place to categorise the safety of different countries and tell people what the requirements are in terms of quarantining and testing. Funerals in England will be allowed more than 30 people at the next stage as well, coming into line with Northern Ireland and Wales, where numbers are already based on the size of the place of worship. Still no news on singing in church or weddings, though. But as we wait, and just as Line of Duty ends, a by-election pops up in Hartlepool just in time. And just like our guest today, the MP who wins Hartlepool this week will be the only new person entering the House of Commons. Hartlepool has been Labour since 1974 when the constituency was formed and according to one poll, the Conservatives have a considerable lead of 17 points over Labour, while others say it is more like five points. Tim, I always think the days before any election are like the last few seconds in a game of hungry hippos with the candidates scrambling for voters. Is that how it feels? A little bit. I'm spending today running around beautiful bits of the Lake District, sticking bits of paper through people's letterboxes in the rain. So it'll probably all be illegible by the then paper mache mush uh, landing through the letterbox on the doorstep doormat behind. But Thursday is indeed polling day and it is the first time that most of us have the chance to vote since the 2019 general election. And because Covid meant that so many contests were deferred last year, these are the biggest set of elections for many decades. So we have elections for the Welsh Senate, the Scottish Parliament, the London Assembly, the London Mayor, police and crime commissioners, and in many parts of the country, a double dose of local council elections too. Every registered voter in Britain has the chance to vote this week, which of course includes British Christians. But will Christians use their votes? And more importantly, should you? Well, you'll not be too surprised to hear that I think that Christians in all elections should cast their votes. And here are a few reasons why. First, we're called to love our neighbour as ourselves. That surely means that we shouldn't be indifferent to the condition of our neighbour, whether they live in comfort or poverty, have access to good health care or not, are kept secure or not. Even if it is only in subtle ways, the election of one person over another can lead to different, better or worse outcomes for your neighbour. 
Remember, not voting is a form of voting too because it affects the result. I've been spending much of my time in the last few weeks campaigning in a ward where a few years ago, my party won by one single vote. Any one person who stayed at home and didn't vote then had a direct mathematical impact on that election result. Given that our politics is shaped by those who show up, we can hardly complain as Christians about the outcomes if we don't show up, because you can be certain that somebody else will. Romans 13 tells us to submit to the governing authorities and that those authorities have been established by God. Now, in our democratic society, the governing authority is, to a large extent, the people. It's you and me. So I think it is reasonable to look at Romans 13 and conclude that in this society, at least, God has ordained a form of government where public participation is central. Over the centuries, the emergence of democracy has owed its very existence to the gospel. The belief that all people are made equal in the image of God means that it's hard to see individual human beings as anything less than supremely important. We aren't to be treated as chattels. Instead, we are citizens. On the negative side, Perhaps the gospel also underpins democracy because when we know that all humans are sinners, it can't be too wise to concentrate power in the hands of too few of them. You using your vote is you being part of a system of checks and balances that keeps those in power held to account. It is easy, especially for people like me, to pin all our hopes on an election result, to be crushed by defeat and utterly elated ever so briefly by a victory. But Christians know that all of this is temporary that every human government or empire will end in rubble while God's glorious kingdom will last forever. That means that we should view elections differently to others. We don't need to panic about the results, but it is not permission to disconnect from politics either. Elections are an opportunity to do some good, to use your God-given judgment to choose the person or the party that you want for your community. It may be a tough choice with plenty of pros and cons for candidates either side, but don't duck out. Just as the people on the ballot paper are imperfect, so will your choice be. But you are made in God's image. The very hairs of your head are numbered. So you know that you matter and so your voice matters. When it comes to elections, Christians should make that voice heard. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, this week on the show, our guest is Ruth Jones, the Labour MP for Newport West. Ruth is in my Bible study group and she joined the House of Commons through a by-election in April 2019. She had to go through the whole thing again just a few months later in December 2019, where she kept her seat just before COVID came along. So for Ruth, being an MP is mostly comprised of Brexit and COVID-19. And we'll be asking her how that has impacted the amount and type of local problems that come into her inbox. But before all that, I want to get to know a bit about how she came to faith. Ruth, you're very welcome. It's lovely to have you with us. Tell us a little bit about how you first became a Christian. Thank you, Tim. And it's lovely to be here. So uh, thank you for asking me on. Um, um, I'd love to tell you a very dramatic tale, but sadly, my, my conversion is fairly, fairly run of the mill. I, I, I'd always known God was there. I'd been taken to church from the age of three by my nan. I knew he was there, but he was just very remote. He was like, yeah, 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 I'll deal with him another time. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was in the guides when I was about 14 and we went on a, on a, a camp. And we went to, obviously, as part of the, the week, we had to go to church. And uh, we all went to church in the morning and they said, oh, come back this evening. There's a baptismal service and that uh, you might be interested to see what goes on. So we went along and um, it was a typical old Welsh chapel. We were upstairs on the balcony um, looking over right down into the baptistry with the big 
big pool of water and um and the minister was basically just talking to me and God was saying, okay, Ruth, it's now, now you do it. And, um, you know, he made the appeal at the end, come forward, come forward. And um, and I was like, oh, I really don't want to do this. I'm going to make a show of myself. I, I'm wearing my uniform for Pete's sake. I don't, anyway, so it was one of those, oh, I'll have to do it because it was such a strong compulsion. I had to go. So I went forward um, and that was it really. That was the beginning of, of a long journey because I'm very old now but um, you know from the age of 14 it's just like he's been with me all the way through we've had some ups and downs and that's been my fault not his fault but all the way through I've known he's been there with me. Well you say that's not a dramatic story I think it's pretty dramatic to be sat up there in the gallery uh, and then to decide to make that very public move to come down from up there and then through the body of the church and to the front do you remember what it was that the minister was talking about that made you realise I've got to put my trust in Jesus now? I think it, it was it was to do with it was to do with the relationship with Jesus. Mm. You need Jesus in your life mm. more than he needs you. But he's holding out his hand and he's saying to you, come now is the time. Now is the time, um, you know, that, and you just think. I can't ignore this. And and I had in the past, I thought, yeah, I'll do this one day, you know, maybe when I'm old, you know, I've had all my fun mm. and I'll do it when I'm old. But he was saying, no, 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 you can have fun, <laughs> still, still be a Christian. So um, now, now is the time because I've got work for you to do. So, yeah, it was, uh, it, it, I'd like to say it was my choice, but it, it was almost like, okay, I'll have to give in because it's too strong, too strong. I, I, you know, yeah, you're calling me and that call is too strong. Now, fast forwarding a little bit, because I think that is a dramatic story, whatever you say, Ruth, about it being a, a mundane one. I think it is. Uh, it makes the hairs in the back of my neck stand up on end anyway. You say that there was a reluctance there. You felt almost compelled to um, go down to the front. And when we were talking in advance of, of the conversation now, you talked about um, another couple of Jonah moments in your life where you felt that you didn't want to do something, but you felt God taking you there anyway. And that really sums up how you first ended up standing for Parliament, doesn't it? Yes, yes. I think probably with a surname like Jones, I should be called Jonah, really, shouldn't I? Instead of, uh, <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm a very stick-in-the-mud sort of person. I like routine. I don't like to mess about. I like to be, oh, do, 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 do. Let's just, just, just do things, do the routine. I love it. Um, and God says, no, no, I want you to do something else. And you're like, really? I, I really don't I, I just I like what I'm doing I'm happy where I am um, and a couple of times he's in, coming into politics I had to um, there was a, um, a, a short list draw, uh, being drawn up for um, a local constituency close by to me it was all all women shortlist and I looked at it and I deliberately discounted it because I thought uh -uh, it's not for me and God said, no, it is for you. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's so not. And I actually went to the point where it was beyond the deadline. The deadline had shut. And um, and God said, and, and, and then I got an email to say, we've extended the deadline by a week. And again, God said, okay, this is it. Now you will do it this time. And it's like, oh, and, and, and the Lord just, just knocks on the door and he just won't let me sleep. And you just got, oh, you know, he, he's, he's, and it, what he wants is right. And you just think, Oh, and, and just like Jonah running away. But in the end, you do what is right because it's so much better. And then you can sleep and you can rest. <laughs> so that's what happened. And I sub submitted my nomination form about 10 minutes before the deadline. I was selected. And that was the sort of start of my political path, if you like. So, yeah. 
So like like me, that was you flying the flag in a seat that you were unlikely to win, but you did increase the vote for the Labour Party. And then you went on in 2019, um, in April 2019, to be the candidate uh, in your home seat, Newport West, after the sad passing of, of Paul Flynn. How did that come about? How did you end up becoming the candidate? Yeah, it was... Um... Well, I'd done, I'd done 2015 in Monmouth and 2017 in Monmouth because we had to. It was like a routine. So then I thought, well, that's it. I've done with politics. I've done what you wanted, Lord. I'm going to settle back down now and enjoy myself and think about retiring because that was quite nice, I thought. Um, and then we knew Paul was was poorly. He'd, be, he'd been, you know, unwell for quite a while. Um, so that they put out the, we need, we need a new candidate who's going to be an all-women shortlist again. Um, and... Again, God said, okay, you can do this, you can do this. And looking back, I couldn't have done it on my own. I didn't have, uh, I, I didn't have the courage to do it on my own. It was quite a big thing, you know, it was a by-election, everyone's looking at you. And I'm so pleased that Paul knew before he died, I was the candidate um, because we'd done it all before. And he, you know, he gave me his blessing sort of thing. So that was really important. And um, yeah, that was good. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're talking with Ruth Jones, the Labour MP for Newport West. Well, Ruth, you became an MP in April 2019. And of course, straight into all the Ferrari that was Brexit. Uh, you then had to go through it all again a few months later when the general election was called for December 2019. You had what maybe a couple of months of normality after that. And then we end up in the COVID crisis. Um, being a great constituency MP is something that people say about certain members of parliament. What do we mean by that? What does it mean for you to serve your constituency well? I think it's to represent the people, um, the people here in Newport West. Um, many of them don't feel they've got a voice. So I am the way to get them a voice in parliament. So when I stand up, I can stand up and say, I'm talking about Steve or John or Diane, or I'm talking about a group of people like we have um, um, a resettlement area for asylum seekers. I can I've met them. I know I know them. You know British Red Cross. We do they do some great work here. So to meet people and talk to them and and find out what's what's going on, what makes them tick, what are they cross about, what do they need changing, what are they not understanding about Parliament? Because let's be honest, it's quite a little bubble and, and people outside of the bubble don't always think, oh, yes, of course, I understand what's going on up there. You know, it seems quite far fetched sometimes. And sometimes when I'm in it, I think, you know, this is far fetched. <laughs> and what, what, what would you say the balance is? What proportion of your time do you think you spend on local constituency issues, what we might call casework? Um, it's difficult to say because because of COVID it has skewed things because we can't go out, you know, you can't just drop in and see people in a shop or a business or whatever. It, it's very different. And because, you know, constituency meetings are on Zoom, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to say. I mean, I, I know our office manager has, has done the sums for the last two years and she's worked out that our casework has increased by 120 percent. Wow. Um, and that's, you know, that's people struggling maybe with the uh, the furlough schemes, the business loan schemes, you know, all of those things, people losing businesses, people worried about their homes, homeless people not knowing what to do. So those are the sorts of issues that we're dealing with. 
And obviously I've got a great team. I could never do this on my own. I've got a team of, of staff who are absolutely superb, who are experienced caseworkers and they know what they're doing. So that's great in terms of HMRC, DWP and all of that sort of thing. So yeah, we work as a great team. But to see that your casework lows, the number of people getting in touch with you for help during the COVID crisis has gone up by well, more than double. That's obviously a great pressure upon you and upon your team. But it also tells us quite a lot, doesn't it, about the, the, the need that there is that's out there. People often say that the MP is the place of last resort. Lots of people reaching the place where they need their last resort. So how has it felt for you being alongside your community at its time of greatest need? I think I'm, I'm really glad that I'm from Newport West because I know I know the areas, you know, and, and, and you can think and quite often, not that I'm related, but I'll know somebody in their family or, you know, I went to school with somebody from their group or whatever. So that's great. I can get alongside them. But but some of the some of the stories are so heartrending, you know, and and just, you know, one or two bad decisions or or, or bad choices, you know, something that's gone wrong a couple of times and people are, people end up on their knees. And, and as you say, they write, they, and the emails are heartrending, you know, mm. you are my last chance. I don't know where else to turn. And, and you, you've just got to do what you can. Sometimes you can't, which is awful, but, you know, the, hopefully you do, you do what you can. Uh, how, does, how does being a Christian influence how you engage with your community and with this sort of casework? I suppose it, it, it's the compassion side of things because nobody deliberately makes themselves homeless or deliberately, um, you know, walks out on their family or whatever. There's always there's always got to be reasons behind it. And I think as a Christian, you, you've got to sort of put yourself in that other person's shoes and think, well, you know, they're but for the literally but for the grace of God, go I. And therefore, I, I need to get alongside them, extend the arm of friendship and support if I can. I think for me, that's very important. I think uh, if, you, if we see politics as service, I guess a time like this when people need serving more than ever before just means that being called upon is, as you say, a real, a real privilege. I wonder if you, as we look forward to the elections we've got this week, how Christians ought to think about using their vote. I mean, you and I have belong to different political parties, so we're not going to ask people to vote in a particular way, but to challenge people to think about, from a Christian perspective, why it matters that um, we do take our part in local democracy and cast our vote on Thursday. Why, why does that matter? I suppose it, it's the history of the thing. Um, you know, democracy is not a God-given right. We, you know, people had to fight for it over the years. So, for instance, in Newport, um, the Chartist riot in 1839, uh, people marched from all, all over the valleys. 4,000 people came through Newport demanding the right to vote because obviously up until that time, it was only privileged men could vote. Mm. Um, and 22 of them were killed. It, um, you know, the soldiers opened fire on them and over 50 people were wounded. And that is, a, you know, that happened... I can go down into town and I can see the hotel where that happened, you know, and that's a great reminder to me that, do you know what, democracy had to be fought for, if you like. Um, and then there's geography as well. You know, you look at people in Africa who will stand for hours in the sun now just for the right to vote because they haven't had it up until recently, you know. Um, and women, you know, suffragettes fought for, for the right for women to have votes. And I think to not vote is really throwing it all back in their face, if you like. And 
I, you know, obviously I care very much which way you vote, but the ultimate is you must vote. You've got to exercise your democratic rights, you know, so important and, and getting young people engaged and, um, you know, and it, it's just, oh, it, it, I just lose my words at this point. <laughs> well, I think your service of your community um, is something that, you know, we're proud of you for for doing. And I suppose, you know, connecting your vote, you're going to the polling station on the Thursday coming up or any other time when there's an election, um, connecting that expression of support or opposition, um, having your say at the ballot box has a deep connection with that service of a community by a good local MP and a good local councillor, a good uh, member of the Senate. And so being able to have your voice in these elections is actually about making sure that your community is served. When all said and done, Ruth, your ability to do the good work you've done in your community during this very difficult time and to serve as a Christian in politics very much depended upon people getting out and casting their vote, didn't it? Absolutely. Yes, yes. And and I think um, the fact that, you know, I think in my acceptance speech the first time around, I said I will represent those who voted for me, but also those who didn't vote for me, because at the end of the day, I represent the people of Newport West. And hopefully I can talk to people who didn't vote, either didn't vote or didn't vote for me and say, well, you know, I I still represent you. Tell me, you know, communicate with me, talk to me about your hopes and dreams, what you want to see happening in Newport West. Ruth, we'll draw a line under things there as we've got to move on. And I will say a massive thank you to you for being our guest this morning. And I will look forward to seeing you at Bible study tomorrow. You certainly will. Thank you, Tim. It's been a pleasure. Well, this is the part of the show where you get the chance to ask me anything about being a Christian in politics. It could be ethical, political or even personal. And this week, we've got a question from Ben. Tim, this is Ben from London. So my question to you is... Do you, in a country such, uh, which is nominally Christian, such as the UK, do you agree with Christian values being imposed by law, even though we exist in a postmodern Western liberal democracy? Thank you. Well, I'll give you a quick and short answer to that, Ben, and then a slightly longer one. The short answer is no, I don't agree with that by and large. I tend to think that to force people who are not Christians to live as though they were is counterproductive. I think if we want people to follow Jesus, then we want to hold Jesus out to them, not tell them you must live this way, that way, and not the other way. Uh, Edmund Burke once said something like, all the laws against the godless have not changed, or sorry, have not saved one single soul. Um, And I think that's probably true. So I don't think we give any uh, encouragement in the Bible to impose uh, our values on others. And I think it's counterproductive and actually switches people off the gospel. Having said that, what do we mean by um, Christian values? And we often think, well, there's the personal morality and there's the public morality. But I think that is a, a slightly fuzzy divide between the two things. I mean, am I imposing my Christian values by voting to increase the um, the funding that we give to the developing world or by making sure that we take more refugees than we currently do? Because those are things that are very definitely inspired by my Christian faith. But I guess people are often talking about those personal morality issues when they talk about the imposition of Christian values. So it's a good question and it's more complex than perhaps it sounds at first. But in brief, I don't think we should um, live in a a kind of clerical state where we force people to live in a way um, uh, that is contrary to their values, particularly if they haven't yet become Christians.
Well, if like Ben, you've got a question that you'd like me to answer, please write it in an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Well, we come to the end of this week's show, and I'd love it if we would just join together for a moment or two in prayer. Uh, Loving Heavenly Father, um, we lift up India to you in particular. Indeed, all those people around the world suffering as a result of COVID-19. But in particular, we see the enormous stress on health services and care services in India. And we pray that you would be with those people struggling, that you would help the health service to uh, be strong and robust in India, that you would uh, prompt countries around the world, including our own, to give generously, not just the governments, but the people of those uh, countries, uh, not just to give generously, but to give effectively so that we can overcome together this terrible blight facing that country. Be with those who mourn, um, be with your people, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ in India, keep them faithful to you, help them to know that uh, you are in control, even though it may seem uh, though you are not. Be with the doctors, the nurses and all those who care in India. Strengthen the government to make wise and compassionate decisions. Do miracles in in India to bring uh, people back from the brink and to save uh, lives. And Lord, we lift up to you the elections of this week, uh, right around the country at so many different levels. Uh, We just pray for governments in Scotland and Wales and the administration in London and of different local authorities right across the country. We pray for wisdom for people who will be either continuing uh, in power or becoming into power in these next few days. Give them wisdom and um, give them magnanimity. And we pray for those who lose, uh, for those who lose their seats and indeed their their jobs, that you'll be with them, comfort them and provide for them. Uh, and you would indeed bless those who, who lose uh, with that capacity for grace. We pray for Christians to be elected amongst those uh, who come into office uh, after the elections this week and that they would serve you diligently and faithfully. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, next week, we'll be speaking with the Scottish Conservatives finance spokesperson, Murdo Fraser, as we look at the outcome of the Scottish election, whatever that may be. I'm Tim Farron. Thank you so much for listening. You can listen to the podcast of this programme online by searching for A Mucky Business. Don't forget, if you have any questions you'd like to put to Tim in a future show, email farron at premier.org.uk.